Welcome to A Slice of SEL, a podcast for educators about social-emotional learning. Welcome to A Slice of SEL. We're the SEL services team at the St. Croix River Education District. I'm Nick. I'm Rye. And I'm Courtney. And today on the podcast, we're sharing 10 tips from Elena Aguilar about how teachers can best manage their time and energy to avoid having sad Sundays, quote unquote. We've mentioned Elena on the podcast a few times this year, um, but she's a teacher. Then she became an instructional coach, and she's a, also a famous author and a public speaker. Um, we've been reading her book, Onward, about teacher resilience this year as part of our SEL grant cohort with the state. Um, and this list of 10 tips really jumped out at us from that book, and we're excited to share it with you guys. But before that, let's talk about what's filling our buckets this week. Court, why don't you go first? Well, I am taking my spring break starting tomorrow, so I'm really excited about that. And I'm planning on updating my bathroom on my main floor. So I'm really excited to paint and redecorate and do all the things. How fun. Um, I am done with my second semester after this weekend. Um, I think I mentioned earlier that I'm taking some grad classes and I'm excited to start some new ones next next week. <laughs> Good for you, Rye. What a relief. <laughs> um, what's filling my bucket is Christina and I really like this podcast we listen to where these two Australian men cheerfully comment about movies and, and video games that they're they're watching and we started downloading their commentary tracks so we've been rewatching some of the marvel movies with the the cheerful australian people talking over it and that's just really filling my bucket very enjoyable that sounds fun yeah so we're gonna get right into our topic and start talking about alina's list of 10 tips for no sad sundays early in her teaching career alina thought of herself as a procrastinator, as a slow worker, as disorganized. I'm sure we can find that kind of internal dialogue relatable. But she gradually formulated these 10 habits, and she found that they were also very helpful to teachers that she was coaching when she became an instructional coach. And she said, you know, these are like 10 things I really wish were shared with me early in my teaching career because it would have made my life easier. So we're going to jump into the first six of those 10 tips. And these first six tips are about time management. The, the next four are about managing your energy, slightly different things. So tip number one is confronting the planning fallacy. Elena was saying we tend to optimistically underestimate how long a task is going to take us. I know I've been there many times. So for example, you know, final grades are due in, in two or three weeks. And I push off working on that because I tell myself it's not going to take long. And we forget or we underestimate the technical glitches that we're going to run into with the grading program, kids turning in projects last minute, et cetera, et cetera. All those things that end up taking this project or this task that could be pretty quick and make it a more realistic, longer length. So as a result, we can find ourselves cramming and we may have to work all weekend to finish grading last minute. So I like Elena's advice about this. Her simplest advice is she takes her first gut estimate of how long something is going to take, and then she doubles that. So for example, if she thinks it's going to take, you know, 10 minutes to call a few parents with positive phone calls at the end of the day, she plans for 20. And if she finishes early, then she feels really successful and efficient, like, yeah, I got done early, instead of, you know, running late all the time, because we underestimate it and constantly beating herself up. Because, you know, when something takes longer than expected, you're like, oh, I'm running behind, I'm so inefficient, I'm disorganized. So she tries to double that first estimate and avoid that 
planning fallacy. Tip number two is to chunk it. So we're all familiar with this because we teach it to our students. But for us, it's just breaking a large project into um, or task into smaller, easier to complete steps. So this helps with us with procrastination because we're not as intimidated to get started. And when we sit down to work, our goal doesn't have to be huge. It doesn't need to be, you know, finish writing that whole special ed eval report. It can just be, you know, finish the academic section of the report. Yeah, I know it's so much harder to, to start those things when we view it as one giant task because it's so intimidating. And just often the big struggle is just getting over that hurdle of just getting started. Tip number three is to make to-do lists. And I'm with Elena on this one 100%. Um, I've been using to-do list apps every single day since graduate school, which is when I started using a smartphone. And, you know, much longer than that, if you count like paper planners as your to-do list. So at the end of a meeting or conversation, personally, I'm just always pulling out my to-do list app on my phone or on my computer and jotting down the few tasks and then scheduling them for the day that I want to work on them. And we're a Google Apps school district um, in Scrat in our member districts. Um, so because we're already using Google Calendar, probably the app that I'd recommend to colleagues first is Google Tasks. So it is an app that you can have on your phone, Google Tasks, but it's also built right into Google Calendar on your work computer. So you can create an event in Google Calendar the same way you, you would any event, but instead you click on task and then it shows up with this little box next to it and it becomes a task that you can check off when you're done. What I really like about that as well is that it doesn't just let you have all day tasks, like I'm going to get this done on March 18th. It also lets you just block off time when you're going to be working on getting something done. So for example, I can say, I'm going to schedule this to-do event for 8 to 9 a.m. on March 18th instead of all day long. And that's really nice because often it's not just, you know, planning, I'm going to get this done on this day. It's like, when am I actually going to sit down and do it? Absolutely. And tip number four relates to that. So tip number four is to obey the calendar. So like what I already said, that conversation Nick just had about to-do lists covered a lot of what Elena is saying here. Um, she recommends that you block off time to complete your tasks. And that could be scheduling what you do before or after school on days when you don't have meetings. Um, it could be breaking your prep up into smaller chunks and scheduling what you're going to do during each part. Again, part of that is just making it easier for our brains to avoid procrastination. And if we plan out our structure of time and then just follow it, there's not as much pressure for us to make decisions in the moment. We're not taxing our discipline and self-control as much. Past me already decided that this is what's best for me. Yeah, past me is, is generally wiser than present me, especially at the, the end of the day when our planning and our resources are exhausted. And we actually shared a similar tip with uh, parents earlier this year when we were at the heart of distance learning about having that scheduled work time for children to get work done. Like if I always sit down and, and work on homework at four o'clock and that's the time and that's a routine, it's a lot easier to start that than to like decide, you know, today I'm going to start working now. Well, we're much more likely to put that off and procrastinate. Tip number five is using focusing mechanisms. So Elena breaks this down into a few different ideas. One is just setting up your environment so it's easy for you to concentrate, even if it means moving where you are. Um, so I've had some colleagues I've worked with that spent their prep periods in other places other than their classroom. This made it just easier for them to concentrate. And especially it's nice for on days when you need to get some extra work done to stay ahead. 
And you being less accessible to others, especially if they know where your prep is or have a common prep with you, can alleviate some of those um, distractions. Another idea Alana talked about was chunking your work period into work time and break time. The idea is that if we try to work and concentrate for too long continuously, we'll burn ourselves out and we're more likely to give up and procrastinate. Elena also mentioned that she's written all of her books in 45-minute increments because she'll set a timer for 45 minutes of work time, and then when it goes off, she'll take a break for 5 or 10 minutes and then come back. Yeah, I know that's another tip that we've shared with, with students before, like the Pomodoro technique is one word for this. Pomodoro is like the Italian word for tomato, and it's named after like this tomato-shaped timer that the person came up with it used, but that idea of like, hey, I'll set a timer for this amount of work time. 20 minutes, 45 minutes, however much you can focus, then take a short little break to reset and then you come back and then you end up being more productive because you're not burning yourself out, just kind of quitting. Tip number six, the last tip for time management is to stop multitasking. Easier said than done, right? But our brains actually can't multitask. Um, I know I've talked to a couple high school students about this before and one analogy that they've liked is comparing our attention to a spotlight. We can't point that spotlight at more than one place at once. <clears throat> so when we're quote-unquote multitasking, we're really just trying to move that spotlight back and forth super, super fast. So turning on Do Not Disturb on your phone and then physically putting away your phone is one example of like a tactic to help you avoid that multitasking and having your attention being pulled in a bunch of different directions. I am so guilty of this one all the time. <laughs> That's why when some people, uh, another example is like when you have a task to, task to work on and you open up a new Chrome browser or Explorer browser, whatever browser you use on your computer and only have the things you need to do that task just to help you get less notifications for your email and all those little things that can pop in and just pull your attention away. I love that. Elena's final four tips are about energy management. So tip number seven is to pause and renew. So every 90 to 120 minutes, Elena recommends taking a few minutes to disconnect completely. If we've been focusing and on task for that long, we start to yawn and get restless and we need our own brain breaks. Um, one point I love that Elena made is that the length of time of this break isn't as important as the quality of the activity we engage in. So it could be talking to a teacher friend down the hall about a non-work topic, could be listening to a pump-up song, could be taking a short walk, just a short brain break. Yeah, I love that idea that it's not, you know, so much the length, but just the quality of what we're doing to help us pause and renew. Um, tip number eight is to get the hardest stuff done first. So if we save our most mentally taxing stuff for the afternoon, the end of the workday, we're more likely to procrastinate and push them off or be absolutely miserable while we drag ourselves through them if we absolutely have to get them done, you know, by the next morning. Our brains just aren't as fresh at the end of the day, and we have lower reserves of self-discipline by that point. So this is tough to widely apply for teachers, this kind of tip, because teachers tend to have little or no control over their schedules. And that's one thing I find generally um, early in my career, I would be reading articles all the time about productivity tips, and so much of them were aimed at the private sector, and it was like, oh, 80% of this doesn't apply to teachers mm -hmm. at all. <laughs> it was really frustrating. Um, so I like that Elena made these tips just for teachers, but mostly what she was thinking of for teachers when she wrote this out and how it applied to her as a teacher is, yeah, teachers do bring work home. Teachers do work on the weekends. So that's the first example Elena brought up. Um, so she says, yeah, if I can try and push through that hard stuff and start it on a Saturday morning or a Sunday morning, 
it's much more likely that I'll get it done faster and just get it out of the way versus saving it for Saturday or Sunday evening. Because if it gets to that point in the day, I'm much more likely to procrastinate and push it off and get it done slower and drag myself through it if I actually have to have to do it. Number nine is to enlist company. This, you know, might sound a little bit counterproductive, but if you have a colleague who is focused and won't pull you off task, their mere presence can actually help you be more productive. Uh, They don't have to encourage you or coach you, but just their proximity and you seeing them work gives you an extra oomph to help you get your own stuff done. So if you're fortunate enough to have a common prep with someone who fits this bill, try to buddy up and work in the same room. Uh, For example, my first year of teaching, I shared a room with someone and it was nice for the ideas that I just described, but also nice to have someone to bounce ideas off of and ask questions if, if needed. I love that one. Yeah, and I think the distinction to draw here where it's not counterproductive is in your earlier example, Rye, when you're talking about, you know, like hiding during your prep so that you can be more productive. You want to just want to think about like what the dynamic is with the people that you might be sitting alongside because you might have a great friend who you just tend to like socialize about non-work topics with and that probably won't help you be productive or just if you have someone who you can sit alongside and you know that they're going to be kind of zoned in and it's going to be that kind of passive encouragement for you to be productive that might be helpful so just pay attention to like how it's affecting you yeah that's exactly what I wanted to say (laughs) (laughs) all right and tip number 10 is to celebrate small wins so sometimes I wish we could go through life and just see the progress bar from video games that pops up when you're working on a mission um, Elena encourages us to keep visual reminders of the good work we've done in our eyeline such as a stack of graded essays um, she also encourages you to give yourself mental pats on the back. So for example, if you finish a task and check it off your to-do list, pause and remind yourself, hey, I'm focused and I'm doing great work. One thing that I do that might be, I don't know, silly, but if I do complete a task and I didn't have it on a to-do list, I purposefully make a little um, post-it of it and put it up on my calendar so that I remember that I did do it and I was productive even after the fact. Yeah, I think a lot of us do that. You know, like I will add something to my to-do list after I've done it if it wasn't on there to have the dopamine rush of checking it off. And that's Absolutely. that's those hormones are really important to keep in mind because back to the multitasking idea, one thing that happens when we check social media is get that dopamine rush like, oh, I got a like, you know, and we, we need to recreate that in other places. So checking off something off your calendar, your to-do list does give you that tiny little dopamine rush of, of being productive. Right on. So let's talk takeaways and wrap things up. If I had to summarize Elena's advice, it would basically amount to, hey, you know, plan for more time than you probably need to get this stuff done. Try to spread that time out into like little scheduled chunks Keep track of those little chunks of your tasks and check them off as you go. I think that's mainly the thrust of what she's getting at, what it boils down to. As with any list of tips that you read about or that you hear about on the podcast, there's probably some that you recognize and you're like, hey, I do a pretty good job with that. There's some that you're probably familiar with and you might say, oh yeah, I've been slipping with that one a little bit. I need I need to get back in my groove. And some might be new or there might be familiar concepts with few new wrinkles to them. I think this list was particularly interesting to chat about right now because teachers and students just went through a very strange period where schedules were ripped apart for everyone and being able to set your own schedule and keep track of your work and have strategies for self-discipline 
became more important than ever before because we we had to manage our workload more on our own than really ever before. And even if it's something you were good at, many teachers did spend a lot of time over the last year or so trying to build this skill set in their students because still students were kind of off on their own having to manage their own workload. And as we, you know, knock on wood, get back into buildings more and hopefully stay there, I think it's a good time to reflect on what each of us learned from that experience about managing our time and our energy and how we can apply that learning and the habits that we picked up to our new way of work. And we hope that Elena's list helps you have fewer or no sad Sundays. Thanks for spending time with us today. Make sure to subscribe. And if you're on YouTube, click the bell so that you're notified when new episodes are released each week. We'll see you when you come back for another slice of SEL. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye.